listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Tim Morgan of Chattanooga Sports, a division of Chattanooga Tourism Company. Tim and his team bring all the cool events to Chattanooga, like the Ironman full and half triathlons, as well as the Blue Cross Bowl, Head of the Hooch, and many other sports-focused experiences that drive sports tourism. Tim, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about how your love of sports led you to sports tourism, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Honestly? Honestly. Uh, Starbucks, because you don't have any coffee up here in your office. So there, we can always continuously improve, Mike. Yeah, I, you know, that is something i got to get better at. So you show up, I ask what's in your morning cup, and you look at me and say, well, you don't have any coffee for me, so let's go to Starbucks. <laughs> you jumped on it, though. You're like, okay, if we go to Starbucks, it's a seven-minute back-and-forth trip, depending on lines, and, you know, he was right. He was actually, I think, under. I think we did it in six minutes and 30 seconds. I do believe we did. but I even know, broke a sweat. I do appreciate your input on that, though, because I'm continuously looking for ways to improve myself, and you always have an unending source of resources to tell me how I can improve myself. (laughs) Uh, Does that mean I'm full of it? Uh, Of something. Okay, (laughs) okay, I appreciate it. So let's start to unpack what you're full of. Perfect transition. It is a perfect segue. So you're born in New Orleans, but grew up in Charlotte. Yeah, kind of a southern mutt. Lived all over the south growing up. Born in Metairie, which is right outside New Orleans, and then parents divorced. My dad's side of the family all stayed in New Orleans. My mom and my stepfather, we moved to Mississippi, Texas, landed in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then went to the University of Alabama. Where in Mississippi did you end up? So Gulfport, it's right outside of Biloxi before the... Before they got all the casinos? That's exactly right. Yeah. And how about Texas? Arlington before Arlington became Arlington and Arlington's the hub of sports right now with all the different venues and whatnot they have there. And, uh, all they had was a wet and wild water park (laughs) and six flags over Texas when I was there. Someone needs to just follow you by five years and that town will blow up. Uh, sure. (laughs) It's happening in Chattanooga. No, I'm just kidding. You've been in Chattanooga a good amount of time now. I've been here for 10. And you were in Charlotte before that? I was. Um, I went to Alabama, came back to Charlotte, and started working for the Carolina Panthers, uh, the NFL pro football team. And then while also getting my feet wet with sports tourism, did that for about 10 years in Charlotte and then transitioned here to Chattanooga. So when you were at Alabama, is that what piqued your interest in what you're doing now? Or how did you get involved with sporting events and sports tourism? You know, it's crazy. Uh, Grew up playing sports, found the sport that I was actually good at, which was football. I wish I would have applied myself a little bit more in the training elements associated with playing football. But after two ACL reconstructive knee surgeries, it was just, it killed me. So I I decided to switch it up a little bit. And I worked my way through college as a bartender. I learned, I learned a lot of people skills and I learned how to position yourself for sales, believe it or not, and how to deal with rude people and how to accommodate people that are going to make you money. We'll talk about that. You're dealing with a rude customer. What's the secret to getting them to do what you want? Well, in that environment, you could be a little more stern because it's about ensuring that it's the best cordial environment possible 
when you're dealing with the environmental conditions that you're dealing with as a bartender. And so usually when you can bring people off the ledge and you treat them right Mm -hmm. and they believe to be with respect, they change their demeanor and shift or they get out. So if someone's just really agitated and yelling at you, are you yelling back at them? Or are you? Oh, cheating? absolutely not. Yeah. So what absolutely are you doing? not. Just you have to maintain your composure. Yeah. You have to maintain an even keel and a level head. And uh, if it gets to a point to where it's that bad, you call for backup. But how do you apply that today? Because we all get into situations with people we're either working with or clients of that something happens and someone gets agitated. How do you apply what you learned then now? You know, it's um, going through college and working in that type of environment. It broadened my scope of people. So Mm -hmm. really trying to read the demeanor and the mannerisms and uh, everything that somebody shows when they're communicating with you, try to read the person. And by doing that, it has worked well for me to do a preemptive shift when having the hard conversations. And uh, at some point, you just have to lay it all out there and just be truthful and transparent. And then if it's not well received, then I know what needs to be done. Yeah, you got a next step. Yeah, and if it's well received, then we continue down the path of reconciling whatever difference there, there was and trying to build upon that relationship. Everything that we do is about relationships. Do you have a key that you focus on when dealing with people that you look for to give you that sign? Oh, man, he's asking hard questions. <laughs> um, people sometimes take my demeanor as being a smart aleck, but really it's try to keep a light environment because I think sometimes people take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more light I can make about myself and how they see uh, me not taking myself so seriously, but taking what I do extremely seriously. I think that that has helped me develop some of the best relationships with a lot of the key stakeholders in what we do today. You know, I'd agree with you. You and I have similar personality and it's that self-deprecation to kind of ease the tension. Yeah. Have everyone kind of go, oh, okay, this isn't life or death. (laughs) No, it's not life or death. And it's not about me. It's about how do we make this relationship the best relationship we possibly can. It has to be mutually beneficial. How do we get there? And if it takes a couple different twists and turns, that's okay. As long as the end game is truly defining something positive for us to build upon for the future. If it's transactional, that relationship's going to go nowhere. Yeah. Or maybe it is. That's just the way the relationship's set up and it's best for it to be transactional. Does that make sense? It makes all the sense in the world. So it's really just kind of figuring out who you're dealing with mm-hmm. and then uh, figuring out the best position for the relationship you're trying to establish. I always said, and I said this more about the people I worked for, but also with clients, if I could just figure out who the person was, I can get along with anyone. Oh, yeah. You figure out what's important to them and how they respond to things yep. and get along with them. Absolutely. And, you know, there is one thing that I did learn going back to the college Mm -hmm. days, going into the transition of the professional realm. When I put others before myself, then traditionally it started the relationship off in a good way. And when I went off the beaten path and didn't do that, I learned a valuable lesson. You know, there's an old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's really, you know, 
allowing that other person to be in the spotlight as opposed to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you graduate from Alabama. Did you graduate and say, man, I want to get into sports tourism? I graduated from Alabama and said, man, I want to get out of Alabama. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding for everybody that's from, I love Alabama. Um, You know, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I go back to Charlotte and took a little bit of time off, but not a lot of time Mm -hmm. and just started working my network, which was about a millimeter tall. And then also my mother's, believe it or not, my mother's network actually Mm -hmm. got me into sports tourism. Because she said, well, I know somebody that knows somebody that her husband's in the Charlotte Regional Sports Commission and blah, blah, blah. So as I was going down one path of getting into working my network to get into the Carolina Panthers, I was also working my mother's network to get into what I thought would be cool with the Charlotte Regional Sports Commission. I didn't even know who they were at the time Mm -hmm. or what they did. And so I did some volunteering with them, and then it led to an opportunity, which then led to transitioning from the Sports Commission onto the Charlotte Regional Visitors Authority, focusing on maximizing and growing sports tourism, which it was a, at that point, it was an industry that was having significant growth. Talk about the volunteering a little bit, because I think that's something that a lot of people overlook when they're networking how important it is to volunteer your time in an organization, if for nothing else, the connections. Absolutely. You know, there's whatever your passion may be out there, cultivate it. Mm -hmm. And you'll find volunteer opportunities to help cultivate that passion, whether it's in a sport that you love to play or whether it's in giving back to your community or whether it's, you know, building houses for Habitat for Mm -hmm. Humanity or supporting the elderly in some form or fashion, cultivate it and then give back some volunteer time, and you will build a network like no other. Well, and the other interesting thing I found about that is you don't know who you're volunteering next to. And it may be a connection you've needed. It may be the president of the bank. It may be someone that becomes a good friend. But through that connection, you've got someone that, frankly, for lack of better terms, is going to take your call. That is a wonderful way to grow your network. And once again, there's opportunities everywhere. Everyone's always looking for volunteers, including our organization now. We're looking for individuals that want to come out and give back some time and become engaged. And we're looking for groups that want to come out and provide some time and energy and effort into helping define the success of some of the events that we host. Because those events don't staff themselves, do they? Some do and some don't. Some you need an army and some we can do it internally and, and be self-sufficient. on. But those are few and far between. So when you get back to Charlotte, you're networking. You've got the Carolina Panthers over here. You've got the Regional Sports Commission. Remind me again, you went to work full-time for the Panthers. Uh, so what I also found out, I, mean, I was young, man. I was doing uh, <laughs> you know, double duty. And I was working full-time on the Panthers and working full-time with the Sports Commission. And what I've found is because everybody wants to get into professional sports, they don't have to pay, all right? So the amount of time and- the privilege of working for them. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So the time and energy I was putting into it, I said, you know what? I can still have access. I could still have experience. And they will pay me more as a contract employee than a full-time employee, which is, is crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So I did that for five years while growing my professional realm in uh, sports tourism. Mm -hmm. So in the sports tourism, 
talk about how you got your career started there and what you were doing. Well, actually, I want to let, let, can I start with the Panthers? Because uh, are you going to come back to it? You can start with the Panthers. Okay, <laughs> thank you. So what I did as a contract for the Carolina Panthers was learn how to speak to the public. And I learned how to speak to the public by getting up on stage, recognizing sponsors, reintroducing uh, past players. Mm -hmm. You know, Kevin Green and and whatnot would come out and they would interact in this little area called the catwalk. And so I really, early on, when I was growing my career, I learned that the value of educating myself and the value of experience to me was worth more than money in the beginning. When you talked about you learned to speak in public and recognize sponsors, was that a formula you came up with through trial and error, or did someone pull you aside and say, we need to do X, Y, and Z? Someone said, we have a need. Are you willing to step up and fulfill this need, and we'll do it at this rate? Mm -hmm. And I said, absolutely. (laughs) I'll figure it out as I go. And I've never been shy to engage a crowd Um, I will say this, they did that to me in this little area called the catwalk, which at any given time, you probably have 500 to a thousand people milling around and whatnot. And then I guess somebody had gone down and gotten sick. It's kind of like the Carolina Panthers were doing a preseason practice open to the public inside of Bank of America Stadium. And they needed somebody to go on field and do basically everything I was doing at the catwalk but do it inside the stadium on field and uh, introduce some guys that were kicking field goals and doing some contests and stuff. I said, okay, thinking it was going to be about the same. Yeah. Oh yeah. Only in front of like 25,000 people (laughs) that came to a free practice. You talk about getting thrown into the fire. I I was sitting around looking at this like, wow. And then there's that delay from the microphone, from the speakers. Oh, that's going to freak you out. Oh my God. Goodness. Yeah. There was a little bit of a stage fright going on, but I fought through it. Where were you going to go hide? You already said you were going to do it. It's not like you were going to walk off. So you just had to step up. No options. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to run, but no options, baby. I had to fight through it. And it was, you know, once you start getting in a rhythm with stuff like that and you get over that initial fear factor, Mm -hmm. that's with anything that you encounter. It's either what is it? Fight or flight. Right. And at that point, it was fight through it and make the best out of it. And once again, learn from the experience and enjoy the experience. I think that's an important part of anyone's career as you're coming up. You're going to be put in uncomfortable situations, but it's important to step up and suck up and do it. Absolutely. Because, yeah, that first time may be painful. You'll learn from it. You do it a second time. It gets better. And then you get into a rhythm of it and you become known as the guy. Who's doing the introductions? Yeah, but ultimately, I kind of worked my way through up to you know, success breeds success. Mm-hmm. And when they see that you can fulfill responsibilities, then opportunity presents itself. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how my whole career has gone. I'm not afraid to take risk, um, educated risk. When you have and know all the facts, then the risk must serve purpose. Because if I'm going down, I want to go down in a blaze of glory as opposed to doing something that was pretty silly. So so Panthers go into uh, Carolina Sports Authority. Yep. Charlotte Regional Sports Charlotte Authority. Regional. Yep. Charlotte Regional Sports Authority. See, I did my research. You, yeah, you did. You absolutely <laughs> did your research. Um, but the CRVA was a organization that was evolving. It was publicly funded buildings. 
in the Charlotte area and the convention of Israelsboro that merged together to become one entity to try to help define efficiencies and then also help elevate positioning of the product, which is the Charlotte region to business tours mm-hmm. and business. And, you know, that's going after major sporting events. That's going after meetings and conventions and everything in between. And as my career progressed, we did some pretty fun things. And one in particular was when I traveled to go to these one-stop shop shows where CVB sports Mm -hmm. commissions all come to one destination with event rights owners and you position yourself for business. I established some pretty interesting relationships and through those relationships, we did some pretty fun things. One in particular was this was a new concept at the time, but professional soccer was growing like a wildfire. And a lot of the national soccer teams were playing friendlies in football stadiums. And so I worked with a young lady out of Nashville to bring, I want to say it was a Guatemalan team and another South America team to Bank of America Stadium, and it just did not go well at all. Luckily, I had a positive relationship with the guy who ran all the operations at Bank of America Stadium. So when another opportunity presented itself, maybe a year down the road, and I'll never forget the guy, Scott Paul, he said, nope, not doing it. Don't even bring it to my attention, Tim. I said, well, this is a different ball game. This is the Mexican team versus Iceland. This is U.S. soccer. This is the real deal. And he goes, we're not going to do it. I said, well, 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 time out. <laughs> Don't just automatically say no. Let's talk. Let U.S. soccer uh, pitch you their plan, and then let's see what we can do. Well, that arguably lit the fire for Bank of America to do so much soccer after that. They had 50,000-plus Mexican fans and I think like 10 Icelandic fans. But what it did is it showed Bank of America Stadium and the Carolina Panthers that there was a value to diversify their asset. They are one of the few NFL teams that own the building, so they could do whatever they wanted to do in it. They didn't have to have the influence of the city of Charlotte to shut it down or to operate it for anything. And they didn't have to fill it up every week either because they owned it. That's exactly they didn't right. Want to. They, yes, they wanted to fill it up every Sunday. Yeah, but beyond that. But beyond that, no. Yeah. They could say no. Go back to your conversation with the guy who's in charge of operations for the stadium. I just want to tie that in a little bit of what you talked about earlier about bartending. You had a client who was basically telling you, no, I don't want it. Get it out of here. He had maybe 10,000 people for that first one, and they lost money on that one. And what I also learned from that, though, is – You have to understand the operator you're doing business with and Mm -hmm. all the nuances associated with doing business with that person. Because there were some backstories that I wasn't aware of on how they were hedging their bet on whether or not they were going to be able to cash flow this opportunity. And they basically falsified a lot of information to Bank of America Stadium and they misrepresented themselves to us. And Bank of America Stadium and us were in it together, but yeah. it, it was it was just a bad situation. But it didn't sink you for the future because of your relationship. It didn't. It did not because of the relationship. And we both learned a valuable lesson when we experienced that. So even though he was a little bit hesitant to just say, yes, bring another large soccer opportunity to <laughs> we're Bank all of America in. Stadium. <laughs> I had to work a little harder to convince yeah. him, rightfully so, but... 
once we did, they did a CONCACAF gold cup there after the Mexican versus Icelandic team. And then they ultimately now have a professional soccer team. I'm not saying that I started that by any (laughs) means. I'm not the catalyst for that. But what I am saying is I helped broaden their scope Mm -hmm. and open their minds to diversify the asset that they owned and try to maximize the use of it. And that's ultimately what we do today with private and public facilities around town. And everything goes back to the relationships that we have with those that control a variety of different assets. Talk about what got you on Chattanooga's radar and really in our discussion this morning, your strength is diversifying those assets. Chattanooga has a lot of assets Mm -hmm. and you're able to capture that and sell that and bring things in. So how'd you get here? So it's just funny. It goes back to not being afraid to talk to anybody Mm -hmm. and networking. I was at our national convention and I was sitting there talking with a client that I was trying to do a fencing event with in the Charlotte Convention Center. Mm -hmm. And after he left, just some random gentleman that was, uh, could have been sitting at the bar. Maybe not. I'm not quite sure. In proximity. In in proximity to the bar. He uh, saw my Alabama ring, struck up a conversation. We were talking back and forth. I said, what do you do? And he said he was a headhunter. And he asked me what I did. And I told him. And, of course, as many people would take this maybe in the wrong way, I handed him my card. And I said, maybe our paths will cross in the future. Nothing wrong with that. Open every door you can. Ended up tackling one of the most challenging projects in Charlotte that could have ever imagined, which is an Olympic qualifier for the sport of modern pentathlon, which made me have to go find 28 horses, made me have to (laughs) find a swimming venue, a fencing venue, a running and shooting venue, and an equestrian venue, and combined all these together under one point acquiring qualifying system, which ultimately they had to, the different countries, 38 countries from around the world had to uh, they flew into Charlotte to be a part of this while they were trying to qualify for London, I believe, in 2012. And it was pretty cool because I learned a lot about positioning of event sponsorship. I learned a lot about trying to bring together your network and once again diversify the use of the facilities that are not necessarily an equestrian facility, but it's a football field in the middle of downtown. It's not Bank of America Stadium, it's Memorial Stadium, but I had to put 28 horses on them. So you know what the engineer for the city of Charlotte told me? <laughs> You're going to need to send somebody underneath <laughs> that field in the culvert that's underneath it and make sure that culvert doesn't cave in. So I had to spend, I had to go find resources to spend money to send an engineer underneath the football stadium. He gave it the green light and we did something that, made Charlotte a part of the Olympic movement Mm -hmm. and it was the most challenging project I've ever been associated with just the amount. I mean, when countries travel, they get given, you know, bank card. And then whenever they go to their destination, they go to a bank and they just take out like tens of thousands of dollars. At least that's what I experienced. When these countries registered with us, we had to count the money at a money counter. I mean, I was making $70,000 deposits uh, nightly during registration but I paid a couple of police officers to sit behind a curtain, one with a shotgun and <laughs> and one just standing outside just to have a presence. Yeah, just to let them know. Yeah, just to let them know. 
You know, not too many people manage yeah. one hundred fifty thousand dollars here and there. Just counting it out, I mean, I honestly felt like a drug dealer, <laughs> but had to manage uh, international communications because you had to make sure you were crossing the T's, dotting the I's on on their itineraries when they came in market to try to make it as easy on them as they possibly can to navigate your community. I learned that they love to go buy luggage and go shopping in their downtime because they will fill up that luggage Mm -hmm. with all sorts of goods from the mall to ship home. So I learned that there's an economic impact above and beyond just the overnight stays, the restaurants and all the normal stuff that comes associated with sports tourism. I learned the value of having concise logistics and shuttle buses of getting everybody in between venues. And then I probably shouldn't say this, but I also learned how to shovel horse shit. Well, that's part of the job, you know? I mean, somebody's got to do it. Realistically and metaphorically, it's part of the job. So, you know, I was understaffed and I almost lost my family for the time commitment that I put into this project. I bet. So I was very close to after it was over and it was successful. I even had to find, and this is crazy, Mike, in order to make this work, my company would only allocate a certain amount of dollars to me. I made a $400,000 budget work off of $40,000 of cash from my organization. And then I had to find it through registration. I had to find all the other revenue streams to make this project successful. So you had to build out the whole thing, basically. You got some seed money. A little bit of seed money, but I had to go find all the other dollars to make it work. Mm -hmm. It helped that I found a venture capitalist on the West Coast that was an avid modern pentathlon fan. Didn't know that existed. But once again, I also learned you'll find the passion, you'll find the following, and then you'll find the network that will help support whatever sport you're trying to either produce or bring into your community. It's out there. You just have to find it. So the last thing I want to say is when I found that venture capitalist, he literally, this is a, you know, a shining moment in my career. He came up, he put his hand on my shoulder after I was just deadbeat tired. And he said, Tim, you came on budget and on time. Great job. And I, I was just like, I'm done. That, that's I, all you I, needed to hear. I'm, that was I'm, it. All of it was just a crazy experience. But after that, I got a little, got a little burnt out. Yeah, I bet it did. A little burnt that, out. How many hours a week were you working that? Oh, I mean, I was up till three o'clock in the morning and getting up at seven, going back at it. I mean, it was like 20 hour days. It was crazy. And it happens from time to time. Mm-hmm. It comes along with the territory. Yeah. So, I mean, when you have projects that you believe in that are worth it, you just do it. So after you completed that, that's when you came to Chattanooga? After I completed it, I didn't care if I was selling refrigerators. <laughs> I was almost out of the sports tourism game. You had enough. I uh, got a phone call from this headhunter and just said, Chattanooga is looking to revitalize their sports initiatives. Are you interested? And I said, always interested. You should always be interested. Always, yep. Conversation and costs nothing. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I immediately started. I found out who some of the key players were, Bob Doak being one. And then ask a bunch of questions about who was ultimately going to be interviewing me. So I was doing my reconnaissance. I was mm-hmm. doing my due diligence. And Bob qualified me to come in for an interview. He ran me through the gauntlet of what was at the time the Greater Chattanooga Sports and Events Committee board. They interviewed me and they said, we're going to give you a shot. I was 32 years old and I said, let's do this. 
pretty young age to become taken on that responsibility. It was a challenge, but I didn't come here and do it alone. Through my reconnaissance, I had already seen a significant amount of strengths that have been defined by the city of Chattanooga Parks and Recreation at the time, Greta Hayes and Larry and company. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to come in and reinvent softball. She was already doing it and doing yeah. it well. I needed to compliment those efforts, support her efforts, show her that I can be, once again, a mutually beneficial relationship to those efforts while also looking for other opportunities to do something we haven't done before. And that's when the Ironman initiative yeah. really showed itself. How many years we've done Ironman now? Um, so we did five years for the full distance, four years with the 70.3. Then we extended the contract for five years for the full distance. And then another five years for the 70.3. So we're going on 10 years. That's great. Yeah. Anticipate it being around longer? Uh, we are in conversations right now for extending the contract for three years. One thing we learned with the pandemic and just how crazy all environments are these days, it's harder to commit to five years. Mm-hmm. Everything's changing so quickly these days. I've talked to a lot of people, and one thing that generally when we look back, not just at careers, but in what they're doing, the pandemic front and center for so many things. So many things change so much for how we do business. Absolutely. It's, it's a new normal. Yeah. You know, the one thing about sports tourism through the pandemic is it was pretty resilient. You know, the outdoor sports, the indoor sports were a little harder, but the outdoor sports where people could space themselves out and kids could still get out and play, a lot of that activity was still going on. I mean, we weren't immune to it. We had competitions. But it took a second for us to be able to ensure that we had the COVID protocols in place to do some of the events that weren't canceled. One was we convinced USA Softball to allow us to host a national championship that we won two years prior. The crazy part was, unfortunately, the city of Chattanooga was shut down with their venues, but we played it at Eastridge. We played it at Camp Jordan. We had 90 teams. That was the largest USA softball national championship in 2020. And we put protocols in place. We followed the protocols and went strictly digital on the ticketing. And what we also found is when we went digital on the ticketing and we didn't accept cash, we actually generated more revenue. And we generated more revenue because people couldn't pass back wristbands. Yeah, You know, they had to show up with their digital ticket in order to get in. So we generated about another $10,000 in revenue on ticket sales than we did in previous years hosting the same event. You know, you're the second person that's told me a similar story. It's one of the, I guess, silver linings in the pandemic that it's forced us to do business a little bit differently and maybe a little more efficiently. Yeah, but it's also broadened our minds to figure out how to do business. It's not just uh, a digital ticket because there's different types of platforms that you can utilize that are very user-friendly and some are just, you know, Ticketmaster isn't the most user-friendly, right? But there are other ones. Uh, Ticket Spice was what we used at the time and it allowed for a full-day ticket, and I'd love to see TSSAA go to something like this, but for a full-day ticket, you can come and go as you please through the gate as long as you showed your digital ticket and we had our gate Ticket takers, basically, if it was a full day pass, 
or a week-long pass in this case for softball. We requested, can we take your picture and associate it with this digital ticket so every single time you walk up, you scan it, you're good to go. Ah, that's great. It actually worked fairly well. And, yeah. you know, of course, you had some people that were like, no, <laughs> your picture's everywhere on the Internet, but you don't want it associated with this particular ticket that you purchased. That makes sense. Well, and that's the thing that always gets me about people worried about being tracked. Yeah. You're holding the tracking device in your hand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know absolutely you are this tells everything they want to know about where you are what you're doing and what you're looking up trust me chattanooga tourism company we invest in software that allows us to see who's coming from where at any given time when we geofence a certain area yeah it makes sense you got to use that data to really reach your customer how long you been in chattanooga now 10 years did you expect to be here 10 years you know i've moved around throughout the duration of my life so i've never really this is probably the longest time i've ever stayed in one location mm-hmm. um i love it the family loves it we've developed a fun network and it's working it's working well well despite the way you treat me i like having you here <laughs> <laughs> yes yes he is definitely abused by tim morgan well every day oh, all goodness. the time oh my goodness let me ask you a final question here it's really a difficult question for someone as young as you. It makes more sense for an old guy like me, but what would you tell that 25-year-old self who was tending bar or whatever you were doing at that time? It's really important to have a happy life. Do your best to find balance that fits you, and then don't be afraid to invest in experience as opposed to chasing the almighty dollar. When you say don't be afraid to invest in experience, explain that a little bit. You may make a little less money, but if you're doing something that you feel truly presents opportunity for you for the future, continue it. See where it goes. And then if you have to pivot down the road because it's not quite working out, pivot. But that experience that you earn is going to be worth its weight in gold. That's great advice. Tim, thanks for being here. Hey. I appreciate uh, you buying me a Starbucks because you didn't have any coffee when I showed up this morning. I will have coffee for everyone else moving forward. I promise you that. See, I've changed his game. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week So be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.